You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. It's always draft season podcast, part of the Packernet Podcast Network. Jake Schmidt here with you guys this week, once again, going solo. And honestly, coming into this week, I had a specific, you know, kind of layout for what the podcast would look like this week for you guys, for the draft nuts who are here year round. I thought, you know what, we'll kind of change it up. We'll, we'll, we'll go Packers-centric a little bit more. We'll grade how the rookies have, have, have played through four weeks. Is it a good time to do it? And I was like, all right, that makes sense. Let's do that. We'll save prospects for Packers again for the end, and we'll just we'll, we'll keep it simple. But then we got into this thing this week, and it was across the NFL sphere, really, um, from Stephen Ruiz writing something at The Ringer to J.B. Acosta at, at SB Nation to NFL Live talking about this as well. It was just so much of what offense is looking like right now in the NFL and what is succeeding. And I know that it's it's a very complicated subject. I'm not going to pretend that I have all the answers and have completely maybe absorbed every bit of what has been said but here's here's the gist of it and and I want I'm going to kind of talk about how this this cyclical NFL meets a perfect storm that is the 2023 NFL draft and we'll get to that but one step at a time here so kind of what's sweeping the the league right now is you look at some teams that are struggling on offense and those teams that are struggling on offense aren't normally doing so. Uh, you look at, you know, maybe the Denver Broncos with Russ is kind of predictable as we've just watched them lose 12-9 to uh, in overtime to Indianapolis in just a strange and sometimes difficult to watch football game. But it, you've seen it with the Broncos. You've seen it with the Bengals. Green Bay has struggled on offense. It just clearly, I mean, it, it's, it's a clear... Part of why I think a lot of people are a little hesitant on Green Bay right now through four weeks, it's because you get teams into what they what's working for them. What worked for the Bengals uh, when they flipped the switch 
last year down the stretch. Shotgun passing, let Burrow cook, do whatever he needs to do. Generate the explosives because you have Joe, you have Burrow throwing to guys like Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. You know, you, you can generate those explosive plays because A, T. Higgins is a great ball winner down the field. Jamar Chase is ridiculous after the catch, but he's also a deep ball threat as well. Like they were able to do that. Why? Because teams were playing a lot of a lot of single high, right? They were they were believing that with single high, you know, you set a robber and you you play a lot of man. You you know, we talk about single high cover three. You need middle of the field is closed for you, but it gave the Bengals a lot of one on one opportunities with really better receivers. And they and again, teams believe that you know we're in one, we're in man. We can get home with pressure. Burrow does not have a good offensive line in front of him and, and will be able to disrupt things, right? But now the Bengals are getting the treatment that the Chiefs got all of last year, right? Where it's, oh, we're not going to, we may even come, we're coming with four, we're dropping seven, we're too, too high safety, we're in quarters, we're in quarter, quarter, half, no matter what it is. We're in this what people call shell, which I don't like people calling it that because it doesn't tell you what you're in. Two, four, and six are very, very different coverage concepts, right? But they're back there saying, okay, yeah, you want you want explosive plays? No, actually, you're going to just march down 15, 16 play drive and score. And we're going to bet on the fact that you don't have the patience to do this, right? You don't have this patience, right? So... The Chiefs were in a lot of shotgun, right? They were in a lot of obvious passing situations where it's like, you know, Andy Reid believes in the receiving backs, right? Clearly, Clyde Edwards-Lair is a receiving back, primarily, right? He was a big part of that Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Jefferson, like LSU offense that was very, very good, right? But you get into a point where it's just it's a quarterback forcing things and, and being frustrated with what isn't there that's been successful in the past, and needing to make an adjustment at some point and what this leads to right is okay we're effective doing this we need to do this somehow but we have to adjust right so that's kind of where you look at teams that have succeeded this year why are they doing so well I think the first one you look at is Detroit right and even Seattle let's talk about those two teams that have basically decided yeah, we're actually going to be, you know, two of the best offenses in the league this year. Yes, I know small sample size, right? But what Detroit is doing is they have a great offensive line, right? They're under center a lot. They're letting Jared Goff work off play action a lot. They have middle of the field disruptors in Amon Ross St. Brown. TJ Hawkinson went absolutely off this past Sunday. They have these guys. They can take the shot plays off play action because it's drawing everybody up. It's opening space over the middle of the field, that intermediate area, which is where, A, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, this this coaching tree has made its money, has made its hay, you know, has brought home the bacon. We need play action. We make everything look very similar for you guys so you don't know if it's run or pass. We're not going to we're not going to tip our hand being in shotgun. Now, the Rams did a little more shotgun with Stafford because Stafford was more comfortable with that, but they still had a lot of play action in that offense last year. You know, you're hitting Van Jefferson for big plays. You're finding Cooper Cup over the middle of the field, right? Like, this is what we needed. And then Odell Beckham comes in and becomes, you know, if this isn't open over the middle of the field, we got a guy who can win basically in man-to-man coverage, backside of the play. Okay, perfect. And, and that added that element. But play action's been key. 
Jimmy Garoppolo's needed play action. When he's in shotgun, I, I feel like he's just nowhere near as effective. And this is where, you know, NFL Live did a great job talking about this is, you know, when you're a defensive lineman, when you're a safety, right? When you're in an obvious shotgun passing like situation, you believe it's passed. You don't believe that there's any chance that they can be successful running the football at a shotgun. It doesn't matter. You're crashing hard. You need you you are we are, oh, we're hunting quarterback. I don't care about my gap responsibility necessarily that much unless it's a great running quarterback, right? So you can kind of tee off a little bit. And the safeties, you know, we're sitting back. We don't need to, you know, we're not worried about our fill responsibility against the run. We're not worried about our keys. We're not worried about, okay, I have this gap. I, I need to be able to sit outside leverage as a safety coming down to the alleyway and make sure this run's turning back inside, right? We don't need to do that, right? And so, but what play action in the run game does is, it's getting you out of this too high a little bit because it's like, all right, we need more guys in the box. We need guys flying downhill, right? We need the safety to be helping us in the run game. And and for defensive linemen, it's always a challenge now where it's like, okay, I need to be in my either I'm fitting one gap or I'm holding two gaps. I can't be teeing off of the quarterback because I don't know if it's a pass play or not, right? If I get out of position because I thought it was a pass play from under center because, again, they've passed out of this look before. Oh, it's a run. Whoops. I'm not in the right gap. I haven't helped my guy behind me at linebacker. We've been washed out. Explosive play in the run game. And that's where you're getting these teams like Seattle, who's succeeding with Geno Smith because Geno Smith understands and is willing to hit those middle field throws, right? And they're willing to get under center. They're running the ball. Rashad Penny's been very effective running, right? So Detroit, same way. They've been effective running the football. You look at two teams who have not really passed the ball all that well, but have done it okay. Cleveland, Atlanta, two teams who actually also played each other last Sunday. Atlanta doesn't care. They're just under center. We got Mariota. We have the QB run game. We've got boot game. Okay, that that makes it really difficult for the MLA line of scrimmage to know whether, okay, if I'm squeezing or I'm crashing downhill, can I backside pursue? If I backside pursue, oops, bootleg, crap. I'm in out of position. We're giving up an explosive play and a bootleg to a running quarterback in Mariota. Right? And so they're getting under center. The Cleveland Browns EPA per rush is absurd through four games. It's small sample size, but it's it's better than a lot of teams passing EPA per play, right? Expected points added. So you get into this under center stuff and why it's been so effective. And you're, you're looking at all of this and it's like, okay, well, you know, eventually this was going to happen, right? The more that teams are in quarters, the more that teams are in too high preventing these explosive plays. It's like, all right, well, perfect. I'm going to take this six, seven yard run you're about to give me. And I will believe in the fact that if I keep running and running and running that I, you're not going to get out of this because you know, A, if I'm under center, that the explosive play could come at any moment. So either A, you're going to crash hard and you're going to be susceptible to big plays, or you're going to keep sitting back there and we're going to have the numbers advantage in the box to run the football at will. And yeah, it ties in a little bit to the Packers and a sidebar is the Joe Barry defense. What does it become? It has become, you know what, early downs, we're going to give up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, <laughs> like a lot, like this past week, that was what it was. We'll give up six yards. We'll give up four yards on early downs. Third down, we will throw everything at you and we're good. And that's the ultimate bend on break, right? And that's kind of what the two high quarters world lives in but now if teams aren't hard-headed 
they'll just take what's given to you, but they'll also be doing it while under center. And the Patriots gashed the Packers because run, 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 right? Where interior is pretty solid. We like Cole Strange. He's been a good rookie so far. David Andrews. We feel good about our interior. We can get a push and we'll be able to outflank you in the run game because you don't have a lot of guys coming down in the box and we don't believe that your guys are good enough to handle it. And so that's that's where you're getting these. And again, that's once you get more successful running, this is like the ultimate, like this used to not be a thing, right? It was like, oh, you have to run to set up play action. And that was obviously disproven. Um, but the fact that you're under center creates all these new variables where you're like, okay, well, this exact formation where we're in tight and and they've got basically a receiver that's you know almost attached to the line of scrimmage. We know that this guy likes to crack block, right? We we've seen him do it out of this formation. The problem is, is this guy, while he's a good blocker, he's a darn good receiver too. Thinking Robert Woods, thinking Cooper Cup, right? All these guys. So we don't know if this is play action or not. So now we've created the conflict, right? And this is where that cyclical thing we're talking about is, is where like guys like, again, Nick Chubb's having a phenomenal year for the Browns because they can hit play action stuff. And and while that's not always necessarily the case, but they're good and empty as well. And they've been successful doing that. But it, it, it hides the like, oh, superstar quarterbacks haven't really, you know, been superstars necessarily this year. Why have the Chiefs looked better? They have run the ball. They've built that interior offensive line. They just haven't had the running back to necessarily be this 20 carry a game guy who's going to dominate between the trenches, right? Like Clyde Edwards-Alaire really isn't that. Like Isaiah Pacheco got a lot of hype. We know about this. We saw it all through the preseason. The fantasy community hyped this dude up because he's fast. It's like, ah, I mean, he he got some carries on Sunday that was good. Like, But the Chiefs are running the football. They're understanding that, okay, like we have – struggled last all of last year to, to figure out what too high is going to do to our offense why we, we really struggle and it's like all right you know what we're gonna work everything out right now like we are going to understand that this is what we're gonna see down the line uh and we need to figure out how to combat this now with after losing Tyreek Hill right we need to figure out how to combat this now so in the postseason when the you know the Bills, who who live in a ton of middle field open looks, right, with with too high. They're in a ton of it, like 61% it like leads the league, right? When the Chargers are in this, when the Ravens are in this, like if, if they're in this world that we know how to execute in this situation and we can still deceive defenses from how we look. And that's, again, flipping back over is what Shanahan and what McVay want to do. And hopefully the Packers get back into it and they find their groove because, again, Obviously, Matt LaFleur wants to run the football. He does. Aaron Jones looks great running the football. Yards after contact per, per carry. Impressive stuff. A.J. Dillon's been fine. Right? They, they want to do this. And so that brings me to a, a perfect storm that kind of is the 2023 NFL draft. And what I mean by that is you're seeing... This okay? How do we combat too high, right? Like, how do we handle this? Well, we gotta we gotta be able to run the football from under center, right? So, 
the 2023 NFL draft class looks insanely loaded at running back. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, we're going to get five running backs drafted in the first round. That's not what I'm necessarily saying. But what I am saying is these teams that want to do this and you're the Atlanta Falcons and you're being able to run with kind of a, almost a unicorn type in Cordell Patterson, who I think does really well reading this out in, in outside zone, wide zone and zone running is because of how good a returner he was and how that, that vision and that decisiveness needs to be there as a returner to where like, okay, now I just need to read all these gaps, understand, okay, do I have the cutback? Do I not? Right? Like Cordell Patterson works for that in Arthur Smith's offense in Atlanta, but we can do this with Avery Williams. We can do this with Tyler Algier, right? But what if we have a stud who can do it in all three phases, right? Under all three downs, right? Who can do all this as a running back. And that's where this class comes in, right? You have a Bijan Robinson in this class who, again, not a burner, but can create uh, in space by himself, can create yardage after contact and force missed tackles, whether it be in between the tackles or in space, can catch the football out of the backfield, it is going to stress you in ways that we need to stress you if we're going to combat this too high, too high defense. Vision is fantastic. And again, he's going to pick up yardage after contact. But he's going to stress you in coverage out of the backfield because of how good of a receiver is, how naturally he is as a receiver. Same thing goes for Jameer Gibbs in Alabama. What we have seen from him this year is phenomenal so far. And it's easy to see, like, okay, against um, against Arkansas this past weekend, Jameer Gibbs, a, a dominant game, right? Two 70-plus-yard touchdown runs, right? Why? Well, it was blocked to perfection, but when you have that extra gear of explosiveness, when everything's out there, when you're like, okay, well, either A, this has been blocked well, safety's still back there, let's erase him from this equation with my speed and my explosiveness and the stamina I have to sustain that long speed that I, I can get up to, right? That's Jameer Gibbs. That's Zach Evans as well from Mississippi. Those guys are going to be the, that type of player where also now if my vision's good enough, right, and we're running this zone stuff that I, I can find the cutback lanes, you know, but also be a good pass catcher, right? Like these three down guys are going to be so huge, right? And pass protecting matters as well. Bijan Robinson is okay at it. You know who's really, really good? Blake Corum, funny enough. Another junior in this running back class, 5'8", over 200 pounds, right, at Michigan. Has had a really, really good season to this point. And creative footwork in space like Bijan Robinson has, you know, but dominates as a pass protector. Those are the guys that are going to stick on rosters. Good receiver as well. Right, like these three down guys, you know, but not even, you know, Tank Bigsby's a, a, a doesn't have the speed, but he's a strong, tough runner between the tackles with good vision, has pretty good lateral explosiveness and suddenness for a player of his size. And you have guys like Devin Akane from Texas A&M, who's, you know, 5'9", 185, but is Olympic-level speed, field tilting, right? You get that guy in, in the Shanahan offense, he's another Elijah Mitchell for you. If he can just, again, read things out and understand, where, anticipate, okay, this opening's coming, I need to find this lane, it's going to be here, I need to attack, right? So you get players like that. And I do think, and 
one of the biggest risers right now, Meon Williams from Ohio State, looks great as an early down running back. Is he going to be the necessarily receiving back that some of these other guys are? Probably not. No. But, boy, he's got big playability, and he's another tough dude, well-built for the for inside zone, power, whatever you want to throw at defenses out of, again, out of a formation that might be run but also might not be, right? And this is... This under center stuff is important offensive line wise, right? Like the Packers have gotten into a lot of shotgun, right? And they, they run there and they, they pass there and they're okay doing that. But Rodgers under center, it has been and will be hopefully lethal again this season. So, but also the offensive line matters, right? And so we'll get into that for prospecting for Packers. But I do think what's important here is to understand that like this running back class, um, Mo Ibrahim from from Minnesota. He's a sixth year guy, right? He's going to be twenty four probably with when the NFL kicks off next fall. But another tough runner who's come back from injury and has looked spectacular. Eric Gray, Oklahoma, really good player too. He's he's kind of found his stride at Oklahoma. Guy you should probably watch in the Red River rivalry if you're going to watch this Saturday against Texas. Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton at Georgia, both of them. Big enough, strong enough to be between the tackle runners, to handle the big workloads. Then you got Deuce Vaughn, who's kind of a return weapon, pass-catching weapon, who's going to be a satellite back, but will be excelling at that. Kendra Miller is big enough. TCU, junior, six foot two eighteen. Another guy who should definitely be on your radar. right? Like I have rattled off names. Isaiah Davis is a junior from South Dakota State at 6'1", 220. We talked about Pierre Strong last year. We're going to talk about this guy as well. Guaranteed, should he declare. If not, we'll be talking about him next year, right? But this class could be special. I didn't even mention Sean Tucker's explosive playmaking ability at, at running back, nor Zach Charbonnet, two guys who, again, Charbonnet probably probably going to enter this draft, I think. Uh, he'll probably be at the Senior Bowl along with Ibrahim. Chase Brown from Illinois is having a great year as well. Like this class is loaded and in a world where the threat of the run and and being under center matters this season and has helped quarterback play in elevated offensives that we may not have seen coming. That's where this mixture is going to be potentially earth shattering in the cyclical world that is the NFL. Right. So I'm very excited. And that creates, obviously, all kinds of ripple effects. Now, nose tackles, two gappers are very, very important. These linebackers who are big, strong, can can disengage, deconstruct blocks, but also have enough speed, you know, to be to find the to run the alleyway on the outside runs, right? Like, all of this is coming back, right? You need safeties who are going to fill hard against the run. All of this is going to come back to it. And, and we're finding that, again, the best offenses are going to be able to adapt to this too high world. The Chiefs are doing so. They look like a favorite right now. They look like themselves. They are so tough to defend. Okay? So that's where we're at, right? This perfect storm of, okay, well, if we're going to have to thread under center, we'd like to have a good running back. And we're going to be able to get one on day two of the draft, right? Because we have devalued the position to the point where day two is going to become more valuable at the position because of the talent that's going to fall there. And that's what we're going to get in the 2023 NFL draft at, at this position. So 
there's my piece uh, for the first half of, of today. We'll, we'll take a short break, and we'll be back with some prospecting for the Packers. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, back here uh, with It's Always Draft Season, part of the Packing the Podcast Network. So now we're going to kind of get into some matchups here. Um, don't have a ton this week. I, I don't want to keep going over the same names necessarily um, because, again, I, I know it isn't quite draft season yet. Before we do that, um, I forgot about this. Uh, as part of the previous conversation, and then we'll get into it. But the idea of quarterbacks being comfortable playing from under center, right? This That is something that matters. Um, and that's why I think this NFL draft news and notes type of thing might matter a little bit. So I was looking at this earlier because Thomas Shea last weekend, because Kentucky was playing Mississippi, it was a top 15 matchup, right? There were a lot of teams in attendance at the game. Where Todd McShay said, that Kentucky quarterback Will Levis is getting some strong consideration to potentially be the number one overall pick. Now, to be saying this in October, how much how much weight should it carry? You be you can be the judge, but I'm I'm going to talk about it because it was mentioned. 
and I'm going to look at the play action rates of the top three quarterbacks. If you count Levis in that top three, right? Some people don't, that's totally understandable, right? Uh, there are people of Hendon hooker from Tennessee at number, at number three. I think you should check him out. He plays, they play at LSU 11 o'clock ESPN, 11 o'clock central should say. Uh, so that's, again, you want to check him out. You should, but I, I wanted to look at play action percentages. It doesn't give me under center percentage, which I would like to see as well. That might be something that I'll go through uh, and look at for quarterbacks, um, go through every snap on theirs, might put throw that on the old Substack, uh, which is the quick slant, the quick slant.substack.com. So if you want to see that there, I might throw that there for, for the quarterbacks uh, just to look at under center percentage, but strictly play action percentage, uh, which again, that gets a little dicey because some some are kind of a little bit not tuned into what RPOs are and think they're play action. So that kind of concerns me with this stat, but I'm going to roll with it. So Bryce Young, 27% drop back percentage in play action. Okay, not, not a lot. Um, we're not going to go much higher than that per se. Uh, Will Levis, 30%, 30.8% drop back percentage in play action. And then we got C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, 36% drop back percentage in play action this season. Um, so Stroud being in that in that area is interesting. Um, and that kind of makes things a little more muddy that on, on the report about Will Levis, but what it does do is tell me one thing, right? You So we look at what's like Seattle and these and Geno Smith and, and wanting to throw those middle of the field intermediate throws, seam balls in breakers, right? To find that space, to anticipate that window and, and to let it go and let it rip when it's there. I think that may be why teams like will levis a little bit more is you see i i've seen it a little bit you saw it a little bit last year and there were a couple reps in the georgia game where this happened actually where he looked comfortable in play action and and he gets to move to his left he gets to wait for these levels concepts and he and he rips it when that window opens in between two defenders right but what also matters i think as well to some of these guys still and we have to factor this in, especially when we're looking at the draft and we're we're projecting things in mock drafts, right? We need to understand what teams are going to look for. If teams are like Seattle in this, height might matter a little bit more than we think it should, right? That's where we come in with Bryce Young, who is listed at six foot one ninety four, but a lot of people believe that when he goes to the combine. Okay, because he's probably again, he's going to declare. We know this, right? He won the Heisman last year. Top five pick, right? The question is, right, is does Russell Wilson not throw those intermediate throws? Again, he doesn't. I don't know what it is. Does he not throw them because he is small and can't see and can't find those in breakers because of the offensive line in front of him? Tua Tungavailoa talked about like, okay, I might not be able to see this guy. If he can't see me, I can't see him. I'm probably not throwing this, right? 
So like that's a thing that matters. And and Ben Solak, um, who many of you know, probably uh, from the Ringer, uh, formerly of the Draft Network, did talk about this in a video this week. And just so I'm don't sound like I'm this original person, but I wanted to bring it to the draft from this. But he talked about both of those points I just mentioned about Russ not potentially seeing it and, and Tua not potentially seeing guys as well. So that brings me back to Bryce Young, who when we go to the combine, there is that potential that he is actually like 5'10 and change and might not even be 190 pounds. One, teams are not going to like that because of the NFL frame. Are you going to be able to hold up? He is not. He is not as fast as Kyler Murray. He isn't. And Kyler Murray is at that, you know, that type of profile, right size. He's a little more built than Bryce Young is too, right? So you look at that and you think, okay, well, size might be an indicator depending on how we want to run our offense. If we're the Detroit Lions, if we're the Seattle Seahawks and we're in the top five, how do we want to run our offense? Are we going to adjust to this guy in Bryce Young who has the lowest drop back percentage in play action? Now, I don't know how much is under center, but I, after looking at Bama, after watching him play against Texas, you know, going through for a piece I wrote on, on Rise and Draft on Bryce Young's poise, which I think is fantastic. He's in shotgun a lot. Okay? So are they going to change for him? Are they going to be like, okay, well, you know what? We like this. We like the conflict that what we are running causes for defenses. Now let's throw it away and change for him. I think it matters, right? And so you get a guy in. Now I'm going to say CJ Stroud, 6'3", 215. Will Levis, 6'3", 232. NFL frame might lean Will Levis as well, 232 to 215. Okay, well, this is prototypical size, frame, right? This weird, like, intangible thing that they think is, like, so important, but, like, it clearly matters to them for some reason, right? Well, maybe they like Will Levis' leadership, and and we're going to go through this potentially stereotypical thing again, which is ridiculous about quarterbacks, is like, oh, do they think Will Levis just, again, has has the look to play quarterback, which is just a stupid thing to say, but this is, like, the world we live in. Just the size and everything is is under center, play action, all this, you know, mobile enough. Is that going to be good enough for us to take him number one? Is that what Houston wants to do? Is Houston going to be the team that with Lovey Smith as a lame duck head coach go out and be like, all right, well, you know what? This McVay stuff, this Waldron stuff in Seattle is working. This Shanahan stuff is working. We got to get ourselves that guy, the next man up. We need him in our building, and we're going to run this. Are we going to run it with Bryce Young or are we going to run it with Stroud or Levis? Probably going to lean to the latter, right? One of the two. So that's why I think the Will Levis stuff also matters potentially as well with this kind of cyclical shift that the NFL is making. So wanted to do that first, obviously, talk about the three quarterbacks. But that's just interesting. Just for fun, uh, Will Levis has a 61 overall grade from PFF on play action. Uh, Bryce Young has a 92 on play action. Stroud has a 77. So maybe it's the size thing, right? And it's, oh, it's the NFL frame. You know, can Bryce Young handle hits and scrambling and all the stuff that he likes to do? 
that may be why Will Levis is getting that first overall pick consideration. So, again, it'll be something to monitor uh, going forward, but I do think that's probably going to happen at some point uh, in February and March where you're like, what? This guy's going to be first overall, and I don't want you to be blindsided by it because we've talked about it already. We understand why the NFL feels this way. They might be wrong. A lot of us are going to say that they are wrong, but this is what they're thinking, right? Okay. So that's that. That's my piece on that. But the watching for the Packers this weekend, uh, I do think that it might start to be a little bit more important that we kind of look at the running backs a little bit. I do think that matters. I do think we should be looking there. What have the Packers always liked at the running back position? They like athletes. They like plus 200 pounds at the position, right? They tried it with Tyler Goodson. Didn't quite work. They didn't They didn't keep him. Um, at least, at, yeah. So I do think that I don't know if Corum's necessarily going to be there if he's 5'8", five, five, uh, but you're looking at someone like a Zach Evans, who's going to be an elite athlete at 215 pounds. If they, if again, this is if they let, you know, Aaron Jones go, we'll see. Um, but I, I do think it will be interesting to watch the running back position. I think it, it might matter. And Meon Williams, if they don't like Dylan, Meon Williams might be that thunder kind of, you know, this is just our thumper guy. He doesn't catch the football, but again, they have Dylan Jones, but I do think it's just something to watch for for a, a lightning to the thunder of Dylan if if uh Aaron Jones is out is is tempting because of what they need to do with extensions for Gary if they want to bring Jenkins back all this stuff there's a lot obviously going on right so I do think it's interesting maybe just to watch a Zach Evans from Mississippi watch potentially Jameer Gibbs for Alabama right a cane just seems too small, in my opinion, uh, for what the Packers would, would look at. When South Dakota State gets under TV, Isaiah Davis, potentially. Uh, take a look, right? Cameron Peoples, Appalachian State, 6'2", 24, big fella. Really good at pass protection as well, right? Zach Charbonnet has that, you know, gliding type in open space, long strider, good acceleration, so I do think all of these guys are, are very interesting players to watch. Kendra Miller would be another one for TCU. They play at Kansas. FS1, 11 a.m. Central. Potentially look at that, right? Uh, but I do um, want to look at some tackles for you guys, of course, um, with some of the premium stats from PFF, a, a good little add-on. Oklahoma plays Texas at 11 that is, it's a, I know it's not as big as it's been in the past, right? Usually teams are, are ranked. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that brings way more intrigue to the game has been like, all right, well, this is potentially, you know, the loser of this game is not going to the playoff. Right. And that's kind of been a playoff elimination game previously. Um, but not this time around, but I do want to talk about Anton Harrison a little bit because I do think he is somebody who is gaining a little more steam in the draft circles uh, because, again, we're looking for those tackles to rise. We are looking for somebody to come out of the woodwork and be that guy. Right now, it looks like Paris Johnson Jr. is going to take that 
uh, mantle as, as tackle one because Peter Skaronsky, again, has the short arms. Guys may move him into guard and, and want him to play there. That creates an issue. I think Paris Johnson's a better athlete. He's a high recruit. Teams like the Packers have always valued that, right? So I do think Paris Johnson from Ohio State, they're playing Michigan State. That might be worth it because of a guy we're going to talk about as well, but Paris Johnson's been been good in the transition. Hasn't been elite necessarily in his transition from right guard to left tackle, but he's played well, and that's on ABC at three. He is playing against a guy that we'll talk about in, in, a, in a moment, but I want to talk about Anton Harrison first, who has uh, 170 pass-blocking snaps uh, so far. Um, opportunities for pressure to allow to 160. Uh, his efficiency uh, in the pressure in pass set world, 98.4. True pass sets, 21. Uh, pressures allowed have been just three pressures allowed, three hurries as well. So that's um, for Anton Harrison. That looks really, really good. I think he plays with a ton of power. I do like the the reactive athleticism he has to mirror. I think there's a lot to work with. He can move in the run game. He can pull. There's a lot you can do with him. Uh, Oklahoma hasn't been obviously as creative as they have been in the past with Lincoln Riley. Obviously now with, with Venables in there, it's been a little bit different, but to see him people move for Eric Gray has been very interesting. He's graded out pretty well as a pass blocker, two really, really good games uh, to this point against TCU and Nebraska. Uh, his worst game was against Kansas State, against Felix Sanduke Azama. That matters for sure. Um, but he's going to get, again, some high recruits from Texas uh, who aren't necessarily eligible this year, but that's going to be a big game. So can't, will he allow a, a lot of pressures uh, in that game against Texas? We'll see. He did allow two pressures against Azama uh, against Kansas State. So that's Something to watch for, but he has he did play right tackle against UTEP, but has played left tackle since then. So definitely a player a, a player to keep an eye on. Uh, also at eleven, um, Jalen Duncan of course is on uh, Big Ten Network against Purdue. A, a really really phenomenal athlete at the position. We've talked about him previously. That's a guy if you want to tune in to watch, absolutely do that. I think that's worth it for sure. But I want to talk about Darnell Wright from Tennessee. Uh, who also was a five-star recruit uh, in a class that had, I believe, Neil Aquanu and Cross in it. Uh, so that's something to to monitor because I do think, again, he was a high recruit. If he plays well enough, teams are going to take notice and be like, all right, well, this guy was a high recruit. There was a lot of potential here. He's, he's certainly starting to live up to that in college. Let's see what we can do. Uh, with him at tackle in the NFL. He's played right tackle uh, so far this season for Tennessee. Two best grades to this point as a pass blocker, which I think is more important, uh, Ball State and Akron. So, again, he, he's 69.2 pass blocking grade against Florida, which, again, Brenton Cox, like that's a there, there's some good rushers there. Now we'll see uh, against LSU, protecting Hendon Hooker, who is, again, very much on the radars as a quarterback prospect for this coming draft, even though he'll be 24-25 when the season starts. Uh, Harrison might be dealing with B.J. Ojolari, 
who's got the ghost move, who can bend, who can dip around the edge, who can who can create on that outside track, who's got a wicked inside move. The athleticism's out of this world as a pass rusher. Where will he line up all day? We'll see. Maybe lining up on both sides. I want to see how Darnell Wright does. Again, who's just this big mauler type at 6'3", 335. He's a big, strong, grip strength player. Can he handle this uber-athletic pass rusher in B.J. Ojolari, who he hasn't really he hasn't really faced anybody on that level necessarily. Now, the pit game, 63 pass blocking grade he played against like Habakkuk Baldonado, who I think is going to potentially be someone to watch in this class on the edge as well. So like Pitt has some good rushers. They they play good defense up there as well. So again, the two games where he has faced higher competition, it hasn't been as good. He can show right now against Ojolari for how many ever snaps don't allow pressures. Now, pressure numbers are really quick. Uh, he has had 132 opportunities, uh, 29 true pass sets, um, pressures allowed just three. So he's been very, very efficient as well on, on the level of Anton Harrison to this point as a pass blocker. Now let's see it against Ojolari this week. So those are tackles to potentially watch in the early slate. Um, now I wanted to talk about, uh, a couple edge rushers as well. Um, one of whom is in that game against Paris Johnson in Ohio state. Now, again, Dewan Jones is another tackle who's played a lot better this year for Ohio state. Uh, I think you've seen kind of a more fluid player out out of Dewan Jones this year. He he seemed a little bit stiff upright, kind of just a, a, a lumberer, whether it be side to side, whether it be, you know, working linearly in the run game, whether it be pulling, whatever, like he just looked more lumbering. I feel like he looks a little bit more limber this time around this season. Uh, Jacoby Windman, Michigan State, edge rusher, uh, has put together some really good numbers. Uh, he has 16 pressures this year, six sacks. He had a five-sack game against Western Michigan. Way to dominate lower competition. Good job there. Uh, he has 13 stops this year. So he's been all over the place. He's had some good days in coverage. His pass rushes has been solid. He's a really, really good tackler. Strong run defender. This is not necessarily a first-round guy, which is good news. Obviously, the Packers would love to have a third rotational guy in there. J.J. Anigbare, we'll see how he does. He's been you know, kind of up and down. He's flashed a little bit in the pan that so far this season uh, when he's given the opportunity. But I think the Packers will continue to look to build that coverage. Jacoby Winman is an interesting name. Uh, number four. Uh, for Michigan State against Ohio State. He'll be rushing potentially on both sides uh, against uh, Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. Two tackles who I think also Pack friends should probably watch. Uh, maybe not Paris Johnson. If you guys are like, oh, you know, he's probably not going to be there. He probably won't. Uh, he probably won't be available. But Dewan Jones might. So that's, again, take a look. Just take a look. Um, another one I wanted to, to touch on uh, because we haven't touched on him at all yet this year uh jared verse defensive end edge rusher whatever you want to call him five tech you know what three te- like five tech not three tech not three tech uh out of florida state though a little bit up and down um had a good a good game against lsu really good game pass rushing wise uh 
not super great against Louisville, but bounced back in a pretty good way against Wake Forest. He has 12 pressures on the year, four sacks, a quarterback hit, seven hurries, uh, and nine stops on the year. So another guy who, again, could be on, on the route to declaring in 2022. We'll see. He doesn't have to declare this year, but has been a very, very good player at Albany. Moves over to Florida State and has been very impressive so far. Florida State this week plays. I'm going to be mad if they don't play, but I still think it's a name you should you should pay attention to. Wow. Oh, uh, no. They are at NC State this week. 7 o'clock Central Time ACC Network. So that's another name to watch. Uh, there you go. Um. Minnesota, I don't see them playing, so I don't know. I wanted to bring this name up, but I don't know if they play or not this week. Maybe I'll hang on to it. Maybe I'll hang on to the safety name for a bit. But obviously the usual suspects, you know, we've talked about Darnell Washington here, who's basically like a Mercedes Lewis. Definitely worth checking out again, obviously, if you're going to watch Georgia and Auburn. Uh, Derek Hall might be out of the Packers range unless they're going to take a first-round edge rusher again. Uh, but he's a really crafty edge rusher with a lot of moves. He'll get a stern test. Broderick Jones, obviously a player we've mentioned here uh, for Georgia. That's going to be a great matchup in the trenches at 2.30 Central Time on CBS, so something you might want to watch as well. Tyree Wilson for Texas Tech's been phenomenal so far this year. In fact, I'm going to see if I can bring up numbers for him quick before we get out of here because he has been really, really impressive uh, for Texas Tech. So far this year, we have 27 pressures, okay? 27 pressures, six sacks, 20 stops. Dude's been lighting it up. His worst game of the year was against Houston. He's played really good. He played a really good game against Texas, played really good against Kansas State. Boom. Uh, Texas Tech this week plays Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State, a big one for for Big 12 Um positioning and for Oklahoma State's playoff picture to stay alive in that so I may want to check out Tyree Wilson who uh, has been shooting up boards ever since he took the field this year so another name to watch but that is he has been really really good if you have Pac-12 network uh, and want to watch somebody there as a pass rusher Braden Trice number eight from Washington I know we talked a lot um I've talked a lot, and, and so has Draft Twitter, about Zion uh, Tupuola Fatui uh, from, from Washington as well as an edge rusher. I think Trice has played a lot better than him this year, so it's a name to watch as well if you got Pac-12 Network. But those are just a few players this week. Again, um, there's always the usual suspects. We'll see if Jackson Smith and Jigba's back uh, for Ohio State. He's been dealing with injuries, so we haven't really seen him. This, this receiver class has been really odd. Uh, but if you're checking into to Jalen Duncan, might as well look at Dante Demas and Rakeem Jarrett for Maryland at receiver as well. So just there, there's a lot of players to keep an eye on. Um, I, I want to really, I, I want to watch South Dakota State play so bad so we can watch Tucker Craft a tight end who just would be awesome uh, in Green Bay. But that's the other thing. Really quick, circle back around just just to mark a name down. Um, if the Packers take a little bit out of the book of Kyle Shanahan and want to do some more power and they want to create some problems with a fullback, which again, Kyle Juszczyk, 
somehow Patrick Ricard's getting a lot of run in Baltimore, snap-wise. Hunter Lepke from North Dakota State. Fifth-year senior, 6'1", 235. But boy, does he, 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 he can, he's productive running, but boy, can he block uh, and be just that up-back fullback um, and has has caught a few passes. So I'll leave you with a fullback uh, if you want to watch North Dakota State at all. Um, yeah, but there you go. Uh, basically, a lot of a lot of info, a lot of rambling in this episode. But hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it this is this was a good one just because it was topical, and I, I thought you know what better way to kind of tie in the draft to what we're seeing on offense and, and kind of bring a little bit of Packers into it. Not a lot, but prospect for Packers at the end. So this was good. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Again, stay tuned with all the draft stuff every Friday. Obviously, when we get really into season, then we'll we'll really be we'll really be humming. There's a lot we've got planned um, for that which is very exciting. We get this will be our first year kind of going through the entire process uh, on the on the network, on the feed, uh, rather than jumping in at the start of April. Um, so that's that's a nice thing. But yeah, if you want to follow me uh, on Twitter, I'm at Jake NFL Draft. Do have some Substack stuff going on there, but if you follow me on Twitter, you'll have kind of links or or other, you know, obviously handles to look at um, where the rest of my work is, but yep, doing a lot of writing sphere, doing some YouTube as well. That also has some, some Packers, uh, um, slant to it. So if, and if you're interested in the YouTube, it's the link is there at my Twitter. Once again, at Jake NFL draft, uh, have something on Josh Myers coming out on Saturday. So that'll be fun. Uh, if you guys want to tune in for that, but I think that's going to do it for me this week. Hope you guys continue to enjoy what the Packernet podcast and the feed of everybody with sports heroics, the fantasy. Obviously, Ryan does an amazing job with with two different types of shows for you guys. JJ as well. We are crushing it. It's it's a great time to be uh, listening to this network, and I'm just pro- I'm just excited and proud to be a part of it. So, I will catch you guys next Friday. See you then. <laughs>